Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, open your Bibles tonight if you would. We're going to be going, uh, continuing in the study of the, of, of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 17. And tonight, uh, the title of our message is uh, Veria no Proveria. Uh, that's right, you heard it first here. Veria no Proveria. And, uh, you know, we could stop right here and you would have been to church. Uh, you just don't know it. Uh, <laughs> This actually, uh, let, let me tell you, um, this, this was made famous. Actually, on my birthday, on December the 8th, which is coming up pretty soon. I'll be 65 here this year. But when I was 33 years old, on my birthday, at 1.45 Eastern Standard Time in Washington, D.C., in the White House... President Ronald Reagan was sitting at a table with the Secretary General of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. And there they signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, called the INF Treaty. It was on December the 8th, coming up in 1987. Amazing, huh? Well, Ronald Reagan for a few years had been learning a little bit about the Russians because, you know, as you remember during the Cold War, they were our arch enemy, okay? Uh, not so today. At any rate, uh, uh, Reagan had been trying to learn a little bit more about Russian culture and Russian, Russian customs. And what he found out was the Russians as a group, as a people group, they historically have really enjoyed and liked to talk to one another in Proverbs. They love sayings. They love, you know, sayings communicate truth. And of course, Ronald Reagan, before he was a president, before he was a governor, Ronald Reagan was an actor and he loved the art of communication. And he wanted to make sure he was communicating his heart, what he really felt would be, uh, you know, uh, best for our country and best for our world. And, and, and he wanted somehow to be able to communicate to the Russians what a, a, a nuclear treaty would look like. And so... He looked in the, in, in, in the Russian Proverbs and all the old Russian Proverbs and what he found was this term, de verie no proverie. Now, Pastor Robert and, and Charlotte could say this a lot better than I do. They could say it with, uh, uh, with, with a Russian accent. I'm just hoping that I got that right. Uh, I listened so many times to Google telling me how to pronounce it that I tried to memorize it just phonetically. But what it means is simply trust but verify. Trust, but verify. Now, when Ronald Reagan came across this, he began to say it everywhere. He began to say, trust, but verify, in hopes it was communicating to the Russian people, to the Russian culture, and to the Russian leadership, especially to the Secretary General. He was hoping it would communicate his heart. We can have a treaty. We can sign a treaty. And even though, you know, uh, we, we, we may write down words, and even though it may be a contract, and we both may sign it, we still can have an opportunity to verify what's on the paper. We should trust one another, but we should also verify 
verify. We should trust one another to write some things down. We should trust one another to listen to one another. We should sit in a room and negotiate. And we should be able to talk to one another and trust each other as far as we can. But we should also make sure that the other person is actually doing what we expect. You know, trust but the truth. You know, I trust you, but listen, uh, you know, uh, I want to see the truth. Okay, show me the truth. Show me that your words, that the words you're saying mean something. Show me that the words you're saying and the words we've agreed to and, 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 and the treaty is actually working. Show me where it works. Show me that it's true. Well, during this signing, you know, all through the negotiations, Ronald Reagan kept saying this, trust but verify, trust but verify, trust but verify. And he was communicating because on December the 8th at 1.45 in Washington, D.C., there as he sat there with Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev, there they both signed. And when they had both signed, uh, President Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. And, and uh, you know, you can read this as a part of history. And uh, the Secretary General said, you say that at every meeting. President Reagan said, yeah, because I like it. You know, <laughs> you find something you like, you just keep saying it. You just keep repeating it. If it's communicating something, you know, you just keep repeating it. Well, have you found Acts 17 yet? In about the year 5152 A.D., you may remember, we read about it last week, the Apostle Paul was uh, in Acts 16, he was in the city of Philippi. He got put in jail, you know, and the midnight hour, you know, the prisoners were listening and, 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 and they were praying and they were singing praises and the jail opened up and, and it ended up that the, that the jailer and, 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 and the prisoners, you know, presumably were all, you know, uh, you know, they got saved and everything was wonderful and happy and, and then uh, the next day they came, the rulers of the city came and asked the apostle Paul, would you please leave, you know, in secret? Because we didn't realize that you guys were, were Roman citizens and we kind of beat you against the law and we imprisoned you without a trial, all of that against the law. And we could be in trouble with Rome. So could you just leave? And the apostle Paul said, nope, you put us in prison and you beat us in public. You humiliated us in public. You know, you come and let us out in public and you basically apologize in public. And so they did. And then at the end of Acts 16, the Bible says that Paul and Silas, you know, along with Timothy and Luke, they left the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi, if, 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 uh, if this was a map of Greece today, okay, like this, as you're looking at it, if this was a map of Greece today, uh, Macedonia was the top half of Greece, okay? And there, Philippi over here on the coast they left Philippi and they walked down the coastline. It looks kind of like a little, um, you know, not quite like a moon, but a little kind of sliver of a moon. They walked down the coastline on, uh, on, from Macedonia and the Aegean Sea and they walked down to the city of Thessalonica. And when they got to Thessalonica, here Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, there in Thessalonica, they went to a synagogue because the city of Thessalonica had a synagogue. They had enough Jews in that city that they could have a bona fide synagogue. That's a pretty good deal, a pretty big deal to find one in Greece, in Macedonia, in that part of the world, in Europe, that they had a real bona fide synagogue. And so Paul and Silas and his group went to the synagogue for three Sabbaths, the Bible says. You can read about it in the first few verses of, of, of the 17th chapter of Acts, where we're going to be 
tonight. And Paul and Silas were preaching. Paul was the apostle. Silas was the prophet. The Bible says that the church was built on the apostles, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And here they are birthing another church. They're witnessing and telling how Jesus is Messiah. And the Bible says that, that several Jews and several Greeks, several prominent Jews and several prominent Greeks, Gentiles, began to believe in Jesus as Messiah. And I mean, it, 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 it just caused an uproar. The Bible says that some of the established Jewish leadership there in the city, the leaders of that synagogue, the Bible says that they were envious of Paul and Silas and all of the following and all the attention that they were getting. And so they, 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 they decided, man, we have got to stop this guy. And so they, they, they really caused a big problem and they gathered a mob. They even hired some evil men and they gathered this mob and at night they went to the house where they thought Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were staying. It was the house of a man named Jason who had become a believer and had been a prominent leader in the city. And they got Jason and they pulled him out of the house and they went in looking for Paul and Silas everywhere. But Paul and Silas weren't there. And so when they found them not, the Bible says they drugged Jason and some of his friends, his high influential friends, they drugged them into the city and presented them to the rulers and they said that this man Jason and his friends, they have been harboring these men who have come from all the way, you know, uh, from Antioch. They have come and they've turned the world upside down and they've been teaching us to do things and teaching our citizens to do things that are illegal for Romans to observe. And here they were bringing them before this Roman court trying to get them in trouble. Well, it ended up that that night before it was over, the city rulers, they had arrested Jason, and so they made Jason pay bail. They, he, he bonded out of jail that night, he and his friends. They had to pay bail. They took security from him, if you're reading it. They took from him security. That, that's, that's bond. They, they bail. You know. they, they took from him some bail money to make sure he showed back up at the court on the day appointed for him to be judged, and they let him go home. Now, when him and his friends got released that night from this arrest, they went and found Paul and Silas. And when they found him, they said, listen, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, you guys got to leave town, okay? And so it was, you know, they, they, they pushed them out. They, they, they sent them out by night secretly and got them out of the city. And so Paul and Silas, having walked already from Philippi down to Thessalonica, just kept going south just a little bit more and ended up at the town of Berea. And this is where we're going to pick up tonight, at the town of Berea. They've been run out of Thessalonica. They end up at the city of Berea. And right here at the city of Berea, they're going to win some more people to the Lord. But these people in Thessalonica are not too happy. They heard that Paul and Silas had got away and that they had only gone a little ways down the road to the next town. And so the men from Thessalonica, they went right down there after them. And they ended up causing trouble down there as well. And Paul had to take off again and go to Athens. All this is in the 17th chapter. And he left uh, uh, you know, uh, a couple of people there. He had to go to Athens just to get away from being arrested, incarcerated, because it was not his time. 
It was not his moment. God continues to protect us through times of concern that we might not fulfill the calling or the will or the appointed rounds that God has for us. He protects us and he keeps us and he shields us until we meet our appointed rounds. Now, you know, uh, I don't want to read the rest of the story to you, what happens after that, okay? <laughs> because, you know, as soon as we get finished with everything God needs us to do, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's open door for anything, you know, enjoy whatever you want to right up to the point where Jesus calls you home. But I don't think that we have a chance of going early if we just continue to trust God, pray, and have people with us praying and standing. Whether it's angels getting us out of jail or God opening up the prison doors himself and delivering us even if he has to do it himself. Whatever the situation is, I believe that God puts his hand on you. I know it happened to me. I know what happened to me about 20 years ago. I don't remember how many years, but I'm going to guess 18 years ago. I, I, I'm just going to guess at it. You know, I'd come back from some foreign trip and I'd preached, uh, you know, a few times, uh, uh, you know, a couple times on a Sunday morning, maybe once on a Saturday night, a couple times on a Sunday morning, took off and drove to Dallas and preached in uh, Dallas, set somebody in, in uh, as a pastor of a church in, in Dallas, and then had driven back out to Texarkana, sat down there at a little restaurant to eat, me and Brenda and, 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 and uh, a couple of others. Pastor Ken was with us. And uh, there I passed out and hit the floor. And the next thing I remember, I was in a back seat being driven to the hospital through construction zones by Pastor Ken, faster than a man should drive. Bumpier. I mean, I'm talking about I, I could have survived whatever was happening with my heart. What I couldn't hardly survive were the bumps on the way there. But got there and, and uh, had a few more episodes there. And, and the doctors uh, came in and, and, and told me and Brenda that if there's anything I needed to do before I died, I needed to do it now. Because they could not keep my heart beating. They didn't know why it was stopping. And they couldn't keep it beating. And they said, uh, we, we expect you to be dead every time we come in this room. Every, we, we come in. I was setting the machines off. I, 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 guess, I guess my heart would just you know, get down too low and it would set the machines off. And they'd come in expecting me to be dead. They said, we, we expect you to be dead every time we come in here. We don't know what's happening. And it was kind of a rush situation. And so uh, I said, okay. And so I went ahead and uh, took the phone and, 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 and called my son and called my daughter and told him goodbye. I told him, hey, I love you. But they, they tell me I'm going to be with Jesus. I said, so, uh, you know, uh, I want you to know that, you know, I've taught you the word of God and I've taught you faith and you believe everything I've taught you. I've taught you right. Do not adjust your theology to accommodate a tragedy. If God brings me home, it's because it's the will of God because no devil has any power over my life. And I am here at the grace of God. I serve at God's will. I serve at his pleasure. And, uh, and so I said, I just, uh, you know, I love you. Pray for me. And, uh, you know, if I don't see you till you get to heaven, let me tell you what, I've taught you the truth. You believe the truth and you keep serving God. And, and they both prayed for me on the phone separately. And then, you know, I, 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 I told Brenda goodbye and, uh, they needed to do something on me. And so they asked everybody to leave the room. And so they, they, they did a few things and then they left the room. And then uh, somebody walked in the room, and I, 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 I don't remember their face, but they were, looked to be about six foot one, looked to be about, uh, they were, uh, you know, probably 275, 280 pounds. And uh, 
uh, walked up and unplugged all the machines, all, all the cords and everything, you know, the monitoring your heart, those kind of things. And then, uh, you know, uh, started pushing me and pushed me down the hall. This was probably, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Pushed me into a, in, into a room and shut the door. And it was dark in that room. And this is what I said to myself. Is this what it feels like to be dead? Am I dead? Am I dead? You know? I mean, I'm serious. I, cause I, and I'm quite introspective, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't feel real healthy. And I didn't feel real good. And I was just laying there kind of quietly thinking, am I dead? Is this, what it, is this what it is, Lord? Is this what it feels like to be dead? And my eyes just began to focus. You probably heard me, maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but as my eyes in that dark room began to dilate, I, I, and I saw right up at the top of a, I would just push right into a door right up to the next wall, and the end of my bed was right up next to a wall, and, and I just saw uh, some... Uh, border of of some wallpaper and I just started to make out the border and I thought well that's strange I remember thinking that's odd you know should I be seeing that if I'm dead I don't know what that is you know and all of a sudden the door opened up and and uh, um, you know a, a nurse or somebody there who was who, who worked at the hospital said here he is we found him you know but just before they opened that door the spirit of God spoke to me and said this he said, I told you to do this. And he named something that he told me to do in 1980. And I said, yes, sir, you did. He said, have you done it? I said, no, sir, I haven't. Now, it's something that I could not do. It's something that God had to make happen. I couldn't make it happen. And I said, no, sir, I haven't. And he said this to me in my words, just as loud as you can talk in my head. He said, and you're not going anywhere till you do. I went like this, and that's when the door popped open. And I said, here he is. And they pulled me out, and people came, and Brenda came, and, you know, and Pastor Ken came, and they, they were going, where were you? Where, I, I, I'm thinking, where was I? Where were you? I didn't get here by myself. I'm laying on this bed. That was going through my head pretty quickly there. And, and, and I turned to Brenda and I said, Brenda, get me my clothes. And they said, what? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going home. They said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. They said, no, you're not. I said, Brenda, call the kids and tell them I'm going to be okay. I heard from God. God told me I'm going to be okay. And she said, okay. And she went to call the kids. Uh, and I know everybody there. I'm thinking back now how stupid I looked, how silly. I could have done that with a whole lot more finesse, you know. But, uh, but that, 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 and, and so at, at any rate, you know, here I am still today. Now, quite, people have asked me, well, have you done it yet? I'm not telling you because I don't want you to expect I'm exiting next week or something. <laughs> but I'm telling you what it feels like when you're in a prison cell, when you've experienced things Paul and Silas that, that, you know, are devastating, make you afraid. Nobody expects it to be any different. You're in a hole and you can't get out. Chains and their feet in stocks. And all of a sudden, the prison doors open. With Peter, when he was chained between two soldiers... And they were going to bring him out the next morning and they were going to cut his head off. And all of a sudden, an angel kicks him on the side and says, get up. 
And when he starts to get up, the chains fall off. And he finds himself walking out. And he didn't know if he was in a dream or not, the Bible says. He did not know whether it was real or whether he was dreaming. And the door opened up of itself. Right there, I would have said dream. And I'd have tried to fly. (laughs) And he finds himself outside. And then he came to himself. And he went, I'm awake. God knows how to preserve those who are willing but have not yet fulfilled what God has for them to fulfill. My mother, when my mother got pregnant with my next oldest sister, who's two years older than I am, the way that my mother was carrying my sister is the, is, is the only way that she could rehearse this to us was somehow causing my mother such pain in those days that there was no way, absolutely no way that she could continue to carry this baby. And my sister Donna is probably watching. That's, that's you, sweetheart. She'll be here in church next week, this Sunday. And while she was carrying my sister Donna, she got into such pain that she went mentally crazy. That's the best way I can say it. She went nutty. And they gave her stuff for it and everything, but she was just driven with pain. And when she, she refused to, to not carry my sister full term. And when my sister was born, uh, my mother was, you know, she just almost didn't make it. And while she was laying there, two angels came to visit her. And one of the angels said, we're taking you. We're, we're taking you to go with us. In, in other words, you're going to die. And my mother said, wait just a moment. I have a husband and now I have three children. Would you? Allow me to stay on earth long enough to raise my children because my husband can't do this on his own. My husband's an alcoholic. My children need me. Would you let me stay on earth long enough to raise these three children? I'm ready, she said. I'm ready to go to be with Jesus now. But if you would let me stay, I would appreciate it. She said the two angels discussed for a moment, and then one of them said to her, okay, you can stay. And they left, and with that she got okay. She was afraid to tell anybody about that because the pain had driven her so nutty that if she, she was afraid if you told somebody that, they would lock her up and never let her out. <laughs> she said, that's how sane I was. I knew that's crazy. But the fact is, my mother walked out of there. Let me tell you, until God says it's over, it's not over. Almighty God knows how to preserve the righteous. Amen? And that's what he was doing, even with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would later go to prison. He would later be martyred for the cause of Christ. But this was not that moment. 
in this moment, whether being beaten on the trash piles at Lystra and thrown out as dead, or whether here in, in Thessalonica having to leave at nighttime because the mob was coming after him, or, or them coming down to Berea and him having to escape to Athens, or, or, or whether later on, whether it's in, in, in Ephesus when we get to chapter 19, how, how, that, how that a mob there of 25,000 was about to kill him and drag him and, and tear him to pieces, and yet he escapes. God knows how in your life. To keep you and to preserve you to your appointed rounds. In Acts 17, as I said, here, the Apostle Paul, we find him now having left Thessalonica and getting down to this little town of Berea. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, that's when they had to leave Thessalonica because they drugged Jason out, you know, and they pulled him out and they were going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, they, he, he bailed out of jail and then he went down there and him and the brother and he and his friends, they made Paul and Silas at nighttime, they immediately sent them away by night to Berea. When they arrived in Berea, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. These Jews in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of those in Berea, many of the Bereans believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. Now, in verse 11, the apostle Paul Describing here, Luke is describing what, 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 what the Apostle Paul saw in these Bereans. It says that these Bereans, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. It, it, it wasn't that the Bereans weren't trusting. The Bereans trusted what the Apostle Paul was saying. They, 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 they allowed him into their synagogue and they listened to him and they trusted him as far as a man can trust a man. As far as a man can trust someone else's word. As far as a man can trust someone else's sermon. As far as you should trust me preaching. They trusted him that far. They were trusting, but they just wanted to verify this before they accepted everything that this preacher had to say. They trusted him. But they needed to verify. Trust but verify. You know, the new King James Version of the Bible here says that these Bereans were more fair-minded. Some translations have fair-minded. Some translations have open-minded. You know, uh, many of them say something on that line, that they were fair-minded, they were open-minded. However, uh, that is not the most accurate rendering of that word. 
because uh, that word can have that shade. This particular Greek word here that is, that is uh, translated fair-minded or translated clear-minded perhaps in other translations in the authorized King James Version, we find this particular scripture translated a little closer to what the real, literal meaning of this word is. If we were to take the literal meaning, and it's only found three times in, in, in the New Testament, this particular word, it's, it's spelled Eugene. Isn't that interesting? Eugene's with an S, like we pronounce the names. It's, but it's, 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 it's pronounced uh, 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 Eugenase. Forgive me, Pastor Ken. I know I just massacred that Greek word. Uh, don't you know he's smiling right now? You know, and, uh, uh, but um, it's, it's mentioned three times. Once in Luke, the 19th chapter, where Jesus is telling a parable. And he tells a parable about a nobleman. And he says that, that this nobleman, who was evidently prominent and wealthy and rich, he went into a far country to receive his kingdom. And before he left, he gave some of his servants varying amounts of money. And then he went away into the far country. He received his inheritance. Evidently, he was of royal bloodline. He received his inheritance. He received his kingdom. And then he came back into his country. And Jesus continues the parable in Luke 19 by saying when he got back, this master, this nobleman, this master asked his servants to give an account of what they had done with the money that he had left with them. And some of them had, had, had gained more. And some, you know, one had done nothing. Well, this word nobleman, nobleman, is the same Greek word Eugene. Okay, Eugene's. <laughs> That's so much easier to say, isn't it? It's the same Greek word. And it's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. And each one of these times, it means noble. It means literally to be born to noble rank, to have a noble birth. To be born into nobility. Okay? Uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the King James Version says this, Acts 17, 11. These Bereans, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures whether these things were true or not. Uh, you know, uh, nobility, to, to, to be born to a position. Or in our case, to be reborn, to be born again into nobility. To be born again as a royal priesthood. To be of a royal lineage. To be an inheritor of a kingdom. Okay? We are born again, each one of us, into nobility. We are born as children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So... What makes a, a noble-born person different than someone perhaps that is born into a more common uh, station of life? Now, this is, these, these are not my words. These are the Apostle Paul's words. These are Luke rendering what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Berea, attempting to get a message by the Holy Spirit across to us in understanding that these Bereans acted different than the people did in Thessalonica. The people in Thessalonica, they put together an evil-minded mob. Okay? 
Are you with me? It didn't take very long for the people in Thessalonica to get envious, to get jealous, to get, you know, uh, insecure, you know, to get impatient, to get angry, to get filled with wrath. It didn't take them very long to get so mad and upset and envious and jealous that they put together and hired an evil mob and they went out and they went to destroy. They broke into a man's home. They went out to destroy his house and they drug him out and took him into the city, you know, and, and, and made accusations against, false accusations against him. That was the way the Thessalonians were. The Thessalonians were one kind of people. The Bereans were another kind completely. In the Bereans, the apostle Paul saw that they were more noble, more noble-minded. They were more clear-minded, more open-minded. They were more fair-minded. They were more of a noble station. They had a greater nobility about them. They had a little more regal positioning in life, a little more understanding of how people treat other people, more than just being afraid or insecure and pushing them around or, or hurting them or, or just lashing out or the first thing you want to do, you know, is, 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 is end up, you know, um, destroying them. They were more than just, you know, animalistic in their carnal nature. And the apostle Paul would even write about carnal Christians. Christians in 1 Corinthians, he would say, are you not carnal? You're a lot of carnal Christians. Seeing that there's envying among you and seeing that there's strife among you and seeing that there's jealousy among you. Is that not yet carnal? Is that, that, that that's not noble. That's not, that, that, that's not someone who is of a secure inheritance. That's not someone who stands knowing who they are. What makes a noble born person? Oftentimes more secure, oftentimes more open-minded, fair-minded, oftentimes more willing to listen than someone common, born someone in this case without Christ, without the fruits of the Spirit in their life. Throughout history, people born to a better position in life have had access to things, education, experiences, things that make people more secure. They've been not necessarily at the mercy of those that would take advantage of them. When you are born into a low position in life, when you are born into a common position of life, many times you find yourself, especially in other parts of the world, but also in America, at the mercy of those who want to take advantage of you. Come on now. Without access, especially without access to education. But here... The Bereans, they exhibited this more noble approach to life in that they were educated 
educated to the point to where they had a copy of the scriptures, which was not common. It did not happen in the common man's life. It did not happen in the life of a man who, who, who was not in position to embrace and to actually be able to have access and to know how to read the, 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 the word of Almighty God. It was precious in those days. These people had a synagogue. They had a church they could go to. They had a word that they could read. And they were educated so that whenever they heard the Apostle Paul preaching, they had the opportunity, more than being at his mercy, more than being at the mercy of some charlatan or some false teacher that could just come in and preach anything they wanted and lead silly women captive and get people to follow them and get people to, you know, to run down in the name of Almighty. Almighty God to tear a man's house up in the name of Almighty God to drag a man out and beat him in the name of you know that's not God these Bereans were more noble than that they had the ability to go back home and search the scriptures it made them able to listen with an open mind because they knew that tonight they could go back and see if what Paul was saying was right they knew how to search the scriptures and this is what made them know this is what the apostle Paul recognized about the Bereans he recognized that these people are more open-minded, fair-minded. They are more, you know, noble. They, they have a different quality about them because they not only are able, but they have a habit of everything that I say. They're going to go home and they're going to open up the scriptures to verify. It's not that they don't trust me. It's that they want to make sure before they give their heart and life to this Messiah that he is actually in the Bible. And we, not, they, they didn't have the New Testament, that he's actually in the Torah and in the Psalms, that they can find him. And when the Apostle Paul quoted from Isaiah, they want to go home. They didn't have a copy they'd carry around with them. It was about this big and about this big around. They couldn't just, I mean, it, you know, it was written, I mean, they... They couldn't just carry a copy with them to church, and they didn't have it on their iPhone. They had to go back home. That's what it says, that they were more noble than the Thessalonians in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. They trusted. They received it with readiness of mind. They wanted it to be true. They hoped it was true, but they weren't going to say it was true. They weren't going to base their eternal life on it, and they were not going to base the eternal life of their family on it until they went home and opened up the Scriptures for themselves and searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so or not and finding them to be true the Bible says they came back the next day to hear some more from this man but every day they went home and they opened up their personal Bible and they wanted to find out if it says that in the Bible does it say it in the Bible not did the preacher say it they received what the preacher said with readiness of mind that means that they were attentive and they were willing to trust him but they were not willing to base their eternity on it unless they read it themselves that's the nobility that has come to each one of us 
and the admonition that these scriptures would give us. How many times have I prayed, oh God, make me as noble as the Bereans, Lord. Help me, God, to not have the mentality, Lord, that, 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 that I'll just listen to anything and be led away captive, just silly led away by, by, by some cunningly devised fable. I mean, the whole New Testament, the Apostle Paul is warning people against false teachers, against false prophets who are preaching for their own gain, who are preaching, trying their best just to raise their own following. And the only way to guard against that church, in, in, in whether it's 51, 52 A.D. or whether it's 2019 A.D., is for us to search the Scriptures ourselves. That we would be so noble. We are of nobility. We've been born as a royal priesthood. We have been educated. We have opportunity that many people around the world don't have. We have an opportunity. We are not, you are not at the mercy of this preacher. You are at the mercy of God. Okay? And you should trust what your Sunday school teacher tells you. But don't stake your eternity on it. <laughs> You need to go to the Word of God and study the Scriptures. You know, it appears that by use of this word to describe the Bereans, Paul intended to assess their conduct, that they were educated, they were secure, they were well-mannered, they were fair-minded, they were willing to listen, they were devoted to the truth, they were unafraid, they were ready to learn, but their commitment was to the Holy Scriptures. So should we be. Paul clearly intends to describe their conduct and not their birthright. They acted like they were children of the king. They want to know what the king had to say about it. Amen? Now, I can imagine some of the ways that people might attempt to verify what the preacher's saying these days. In America, instead of people searching the pages of the Holy Scriptures, they might first try Google. Hello. So, when the preacher's preaching, what do you check? After you leave, you know, when you want to know something, do you go to a blog or you're looking, you know, at, at, at sermon outlines? Are you looking at, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, um, listen to faith-based counselors or song lyrics or, you know, sermon archives or commentaries? Google, you know, where do you go to get your truth, to verify truth? Come on now. You can go to this and find answers for your marriage. Better than Google. You can find answers for your financial problems here. Better than the latest blog. Don't be like the Thessalonians. Be noble as the Bereans. Search the scriptures daily. They had a daily appetite for the word of God. There's a French term. There's a French term, noblesse oblige. Noblesse oblige. It means nobility obligates. Because we are born again. 
we have a responsibility. We are obligated to make sure that when we share the Word of God, when we share counsel with someone else, when we tell someone how to have a relationship mended, how they should act when they are going through a test, our nobility obligates us to make sure we're telling them the truth. Make sure you're giving them the Word of God and not just an opinion. Amen.